Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book out there. It's called Get a Job Without Going Crazy. So, you know, you can find it like on Amazon or wherever else. But for uh, today, my guest is Dia Klein, who, spoiler alert, works for me, but she also does tons of other stuff on her own. Dia, I'll let you introduce yourself in just a moment. But before we get into that, uh, if you're new to the show, our purpose is to explore and really redefine this world of work, especially as us Gen X millennials and those to come after seek positions of leadership that allow us to be ourselves. So every show, we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Woohoo! Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaches. We focus on those practical tools for your job search, including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. Check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or you know, you can just Google it. Hi, Dia. Hi, Donna. You're making me laugh already. <laughs> Thanks. You've got the real low bar, if that's funny. <laughs> I know. Just saying your website URL makes me laugh. Oh, it says a lot about me. <laughs> right. So, Dia, you have so much going on with you. Obviously, you're one of my coaches and writers, and you do our business development. Why don't you tell me just a little bit more about you? And what you do and and all this stuff that you have going on. Yes. And the thing I call life. Uh, As a true artist, I am not satisfied having a singular descriptor to talk about who I am. So I'm a multi-hyphenate creative. So I'm an actor, comedian, resume writer, and coach, as you so fabulously explained. I'm also a self-proclaimed rule breaker, which I strongly hold on to and bring into every aspect of my life. And I give public speeches, I do keynotes. And interestingly enough, one of the more unique things about me, if that wasn't unique enough, one of the most unique things about me is the fact that I am what's called a congenital anosmic, which means, because right, nobody's like, like, of course, yes, I know what that means. It's what it means. Congenital, born without anosmic, the ability to smell. I was born without the ability to smell, which makes me a unique human on this planet. Except for all the people with COVID. Those are not, no, Donna Shannon, Donna (laughs) Shannon, how dare you? Those are what's called acquired anosmics. Okay. I'm the OG of the anosmic world. I'm congenital. These people, these interlopers, these acquired people, they get it. They stay for a while and they go away. It's a wholly different conversation, totally different perception, and they're different-ish. Right. So, okay. Now, I have to ask this because I don't think I've gotten this story before. Oh. It's like, when did you realize you didn't have a ability to smell? Because it's not like if you're blind or if you can't hear things, it's when it's kind of obvious because it's like my grandson is hard of hearing and we started to realize he was having hearing issues probably when he was about a year and a half, two years old. 
because he's well, not would completely. they test him yeah. at the hospital as a newborn? No. And they don't really oh. do that too much anymore. Not for hearing. <laughs> oh, my daughter was when she was born. Well, that's 23 years ago. That was uh, audio, auditory and sight. They did those two tests. But mm -hmm. my story as a congenital anosmic is very clear in my memory. I, I absolutely have this really great memory of when I realized I am different and I was four years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking home, walking into my house with my father and brother. And as soon as they opened the front door, they both breathed in and exclaimed spaghetti for dinner. Mm. And I, I was looking at them wondering, how, how do you know that? Because you could not see the kitchen from the front door. And I'm thinking, what kind of magic is this? And I look at my dad and I said, how do you know we're having spaghetti for dinner? And he said, just breathe in through your nose and smell. And I was very, I remember being very confused about that because when I breathed in through my nose to smell, I breathed in warm air. So how does warm air smell like spaghetti? I didn't get it. And that's when I first started understanding that there was this thing called smell and I couldn't do it. Wow. Wow. So that's really interesting because, uh, you know, you were four years old and that's how you found out. And that's how I found out. And I spent my, my life specifically in depth in my childhood telling people I can't smell and being told by doctors, teachers, my parents, anyone who had an opinion that because I could taste, because congenital anosmics have the ability to taste for the most part, most of us do, that because I was tasting, therefore... I had to be smelling because the wrong scientific idea that everyone was promoting was that smell and taste are connected and you can't have one without the other, which is mm. wholly wrong. Right. So because I could taste, they assumed I just wasn't paying attention, that I would grow into it, that I had to try harder, which is insane because if you think of your grandson, can you imagine telling him, oh, honey, just listen through your ears and hear. You're just, yeah. just try harder. Well, you'll grow into it. Yeah. No one would say that. That would be ridiculous. Actually, because he's hard of hearing, not completely deaf. That was part of the issues when he was younger. So he was not fully deaf. He was just. Yeah. So that he probably it. passed the test at the hospital. But then when he did more advanced testing, he's uh, it's anything. He's got high end hearing loss. So anything above 2000 hertz oh. so about, this, about the sound of a whistle, he can't hear it. So if it's too, and you know how people talk to babies and dogs the same way, you always go, who's your good baby? Yeah. He wouldn't be able to hear that if you speak high. So we all have to consciously drop <laughs> our voices lower in order to be heard. Now, it sounds ridiculous, but it's a human reaction. That's how we talk to babies. Yeah, that's true. Well, way to disprove my point, Donna. Thank you for that. <laughs> but, but let's pretend, let's pretend he was deaf, deaf, yeah. deaf, deaf. Yeah. <laughs> then my point is made right, oh. <laughs> right. now say I, I don't smell very well but that's probably because of putting chemical substances up my nose which i do not recommend yeah not that could right. that could kill some things so i'm one of the few congenital anosmics in the world who actually had a doctor diagnose them and because of that, I know why I can't smell. I know what I'm missing. And I'm missing olfactory bulbs. Uh -huh. And I'm missing the uh, nerve, olfactory nerve track. Mm -hmm. And here's an interesting FYI bit of info. When I got my MRI to get it done, 
the doctor in the notes puts the findings, you know, oh, no olfactory bulb, no, no olfactory nerve tracts, puts a finding in there as a, as an additional finding. Oh yeah. Nine millimeter hole what? in my skull in the Meckles cave. Oh, but you know, no brain seepage. Uh, 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 what? What? There's a hole in my head. I have a nine millimeter <laughs> hole in my head. Like, like basically think like between my eyes. And yeah. I, I'm thinking like, this proves my point for reincarnation. I was at some point in a past life clearly killed by a self-inflicted or somebody did it. Nine yeah. millimeter gun to my head. Yeah. Not, that's so crazy. And yeah. he was so not concerned. Yeah, you're fine. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a typical casual, you know, hole in your head. That's all right. I have an extra bend in my colon, so. Oh, hey, does that make pooping fun? Uh, no, it actually makes it worse, but I'm extra full of shit, so. <laughs> it never, the level never goes down. It's just always like. <laughs> Probably. Super high. Super high. <laughs> but what is interesting, though, is that you've taken this condition and you're starting to build a brand with it. And you're starting to monetize it, right? Yes. Because you have a whole series on YouTube where aren't you getting some corporate sponsors? They send you stuff to smell and then you're like, it smells like nothing. Yes. Which is this. So this is, this is so great. This is a really great example of how to brand yourself, how to talk about your expertise in your line of work. How, why, why you, what's your why, who cares, right? Everyone's cool. Everyone's funny. Everyone's smart. So you got to find your niche. And I recently embraced my niche of being a congenital anosmic. And because I did that, and I started pushing forth all kinds of information and product and po posing myself, presenting myself as an authority of congenital anosmia, I started gaining attention from people who would never have paid attention to me. As you mentioned, corporate sponsors. One of the people that I have an association with, one of the companies I should say, is Lumi Deodorant. Mm. Which, why would a congenital anosmic who can't smell, who has never smelled, be a good person, a good voice to listen to in the world of, I stink, how do I not stink? This deodorant is super effective. Right. And what I did, what I decided to do, and I suggest this to everyone in all lines of business, is to find your dream client, find who should be listening to your voice and tell them why you are a voice that is worth hearing. And I targeted Lumi deodorant because their commercials are insanely funny. It was my flavor of humor, bathroom humor. Mm -hmm. And I decided to make some videos to show them how awesome I would be as a voice, this, this anti-voice to their product, because I'm not telling you it smells good. I'm making other people sniff me, which is taboo. Mm. Oh, because that's what you're avoiding to smell my pits. Don't smell my butt, whatever it is. You're afraid of all the stinky areas that someone could smell. And I put forth this video where it's like, oh no, no. I get people to smell me. I'm putting your deodorant to the test. And they were like, we love this. So then they paid me to write a blog post for them. And then they send me their products to talk about. And I created that opportunity because I saw my uniqueness, which would really equate to a deficit for this particular company. And I turned it into a positive. Oh, good, good. And 
I love the fact that you pitched them. So one of the things that we talk about, because, you know, disclaimer, you know, Dia is one of my career coaches and resume writers here at Personal Touch Career Services. We talk about pitching a job or the hidden job market. And people always ask us, how do you tap a hidden job market? Well, that's exactly what you do. Yes. You research a company you want to work for. You craft a pitch now, as a job seeker, it might be a little bit more defined. It's like, as your marketing manager, I can take your brand here. And this is some of the ideas that I have for you. And then through different negotiations and working with managers and such, you can start crafting a custom job for yourself. Yeah. So in your case, you did it more as like an independent contractor, but it is possible to take that same strategy and make it a job. Exactly. And maybe not even a job, but as some people realize in their careers, the super beneficial idea of being on a board or an advisory committee. And what I also was able to create for myself in doing my speeches and speech competitions and keynote speaking, talking about anosmia, I record my speeches and I put them out there as content to help other anosmics, congenital anosmics as well, understand they're not alone and to, and to put into words the feelings and experience of what it is to live a life without smell. And I would write these blog posts and make these videos and I just put them out there in the world. And then I would go on to social media and I would find groups and companies and people who are connected to the word smell and olfactory and anosmia. And I would alert them to, have you seen my speech? Have you seen my taste test videos? You might find this interesting. I'd love to talk with you. So again, self-promoting myself, sneaking in under that you know hidden job market, networking myself from the backside. And because I did that and showed my authority and a, a voice in the world in this topic, I created for myself and now it's become a thing. It's called a public ambassador role, which didn't mm -hmm. exist before I pitched it. And mm -hmm. I am the first American public ambassador for Fifth Sense UK, which is the world's leading smell and taste charity, helping educate and support people affected with smell and taste disorders. Wow. Never even knew it existed. And then they were like, we want you to be part of us. We want you to be branded with us. And then they started inviting other higher profile anosmics, congenital and acquired alike, to be part of this voice that they saw benefit in because I showed them they needed this voice. And right. they were like, yeah, you're right. We need this voice. And it has just exploded. And now I have on my resume, I'm this public ambassador for this really large, well, you know, comparatively large, but a worldwide nonprofit that does good in the world. And now I'm an authority figure with, with cred credentials to support that. Right. Now, you also have a number of different speaking awards, and I know you've been involved with Toastmasters for years. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that and just kind of like how important the public speaking is yeah, in your career and kind of carrying your message. Thank you. Yes. I've been with Toastmasters for just over three years. And in that time, for my own selfish reasons, because I'm a performer, and if you give me a stage, I'm going to take it. I've really dived into their world of speech competitions. And in doing that, I have to come up with things to talk about. So that's been just so beneficial on my side professionally. 
But what Toastmasters does for me and for anyone is so huge to give people the opportunity to practice, to work out that public speaking muscle. Because even if you're good at it, if you don't use it, it will atrophy and you will stop being confident. Your nerves will take over. You'll be unsure how to work and move forward. And Toastmasters offers weekly meetings. You can go to more than one, like AA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It offers weekly meetings to have a safe environment for you to practice public speaking skills. So right now, Donna, we're talking, it's a podcast. This is a different public speaking skill than if this were in person or if this were also a video. So when we have our meetings, they're on Zoom. They're a visual and audio experience. And our world is now on Zoom. And being able to practice these virtual speaking skills, these public speaking skills that translate directly into, I have a job interview, or I have to speak to a big client. And if you don't know how to situate yourself within that Zoom rectangle by being properly lit, by understanding what your background is saying about you, but so importantly, how you are connecting with your audience, which means not looking at them in their Zoom rectangles. It means spending the entire time staring into a pinhole camera because that gives me authority. I look like I'm paying attention and we're connecting because when I look away, I've disconnected and I look disinterested and I, and I look shifty. I'm not an authority anymore. And Toastmasters gives you the opportunity to understand, to practice. So when you get that job, when you get that interview, when you land that client, you show up as a professional. And I don't know any other organization that does that for $9 a month. Right. Right. Oh, sure. Undercut our prices. Thank I know. You. Right. Like, uh, oh, sorry, Don, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pay me more. But it is true. I mean, I had you lead one of our interview classes for the Brown Bag Job Search Group, which is a bi-monthly job searching group that's, you know, we're based in Denver, but we're on Zoom. So we get people from all over the country. And you were leading one of our courses on the interview skills. And it was a lot of the Toastmaster processes that you were introducing to people. And it's yeah. like, yeah, this totally relates. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, yeah, we're here as a professional company with personal touch to help you one-on-one long-term and, and for longer than two minutes, you know, like you'd have in a Toastmaster meeting, we're here to really help cement that. But just because we've had an hour long coaching session, if you don't keep doing it, it's not going to stick. And your family is going to get pretty bored pretty quick of peppering you with questions or trying to help you with your public speaking skills. And that's when I turn everyone on to Toastmasters as the supplement. Like, this is how you keep it up. This is how you improve. Yeah. Or the thing I always point out when people are trying to like run questions back and forth with their family members, your family is going to be too nice. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to be supportive, but they don't know what they're listening for. They don't know what looks good in an interview. And I have had so many coaching clients that like one gentleman in particular, he came in and he's like, oh, I was practicing this with my wife. And she said that I used 25 ums in two minutes and now I'm super nervous. I'm like, well, yeah, because she didn't have anything else to give you other than don't say um. And now you're totally fixated on that. And that's why you can't stop saying it. And that just so, okay, this proves my point that I am adamant about. Okay, everyone has an opinion, obviously, right? But 
to listen to someone that you're asking for help on something with, to listen to someone who does not have a qualified opinion and comes at you with the ability to give you effective options and ideas for change is not helpful. When you ask someone who is not qualified to answer the question, you're just going to get an opinion, which has nothing to do with helping you grow. It's just an opinion and it's not qualified. It's the equivalent of WebMD versus yeah. a real doctor. Is like <laughs> you know. Everyone has an opinion. Oh, well, it could be. Oh yeah, well, it's this. And it's like, okay, so when was the last time you did this? When was the last time you were on stage? How many ways do you know how to give effective feedback to help someone grow? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. You don't? Okay, shh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But speaking about being on stage... This is another part of your creative careers that I think is really interesting because you made some waves as an actress yourself. Mm -hmm. And that includes like audiobooks and things like that. And I kind of like equate this to, you know, we've done some comedy together. And I was speaking to another career coach who does, uh, well, she claims that she did stand up comedy. Well, that's <laughs> shady. She did do stand up comedy. But when I was like talking with her, and she gets into her, what she did for comedy was she was doing open mics in Denver for about five years back in like 2000 through 2005. And she was saying she was doing really innovative stuff because, you know, that's the time when guys would just get up and on stage and talk about their junk. And, and she told stories and stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, and I go, well, you know, this is, these are the kind of shows that I produce. These are the shows that I've been on. And she looks at me and she goes, and you get paid for that. I'm like, hell yeah, I get paid for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know, perspective, I guess, you know, everyone. Oh, Dia, <laughs> you get paid for that. <laughs> I get paid for that. I get paid for that. I mean, I try to get paid a lot for that, which is just practice and knowing how to negotiate your price and knowing your value. Right. And sometimes it means taking a job that pays less because it's going to give you a better profile and more resume building and more authority in the avenue in which you want to live. And when you do stage stuff, whether or acting stuff, so much of it is undervalued. Mm -hmm. People will have money to put into the production, but not to pay any of the talent, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. And, you know, you have to do that at the beginning of your career to take a job that's just going to build your reel and help your resume and, and give you credentials. But I've done so many things that I thought would really build my profile up. Like I was on the Food Network as um, a contestant on this super popular game show based off of this insanely popular show they had. And I'm like, oh my God, I'll get visibility. But this was way back in the early 2000s. So there was like no effect from that. <laughs> and I didn't even get the you know, uh, the prizes they give for the contestants, like consolation prizes. Right. They didn't, they never even sent any of that out. So it was like just the experience, but it looks really good on my resume. Right. Right. 
Where like, on the other hand, I was on a billboard for a lingerie store with my mom and my daughter, if you can imagine that. I won't explain it further because it just sounds more interesting to say I was on a billboard with my mom and my daughter for a lingerie store. It and sounds like a fetish site now. <laughs> I, I, I know. It's reputable. It's for Soul Lingerie, this fantastic lingerie store in Denver. And, you know, that's a great place to have visibility. And it's like, well, what did you get? You know, like a bra? It was like, well, mm -hmm. no, some bratwurst. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, of course, my brain instantly goes, well, isn't lingerie so that you can get some bratwurst? <laughs> Yes, I did get me some bratwurst, some spicy, spicy bratwurst, Donna. Thank you for saying so. <laughs> yes. And then even like with audiobooks, you know, that's a really lucrative industry to jump into. And there's no retirement from the audiobook industry. And it's home-based for the most part. It's just investment in education, investment in equipment, and investment in doing it low level till you get better enough to get higher level till you get better enough to get an agent. And then, um, yes, please. I would take the $500 for the 10 second spot and the 20% residuals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll do that job. Right. Never age out of it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad that you point out the need to have proper equipment and the yes. need to have the education and the education might even just be as simple as, understanding how to use editing equipment. What does quality audio look like? What does acting specifically for this type of genre entail? It's like, uh, I started doing my comedy podcast at the beginning of 2021 and I've had some other comics listen to it. And their whole thing is like, well, I hope you're doing better than so-and-so. And then they'll listen to it. And it's like, well, yeah, because I've got the pacing lined out the way that I want to for those shows, which is different than this pacing here this is more free form and when you're doing your podcast you have a formula and you, yeah, and you know you have segments and it's like this is a two-minute segment then it moves to this which translates and transfers to that yeah this yeah so and, smart and here's the other thing let's talk a moment about professionalism in mm. any kind of gig work especially anything in the entertainment industry or speaking or brand ambassadors or stuff like this there's people who dream and then there's people that make it happen i uh used to do like music management not very a lot but i mean i studied it in school and things and i always used to say and i still say it who's the best guitarist in the world oh this is a question okay hold on hold on hold on well he just died eddie van halen not necessarily Jimi hendrix no the best guitarist in the world is sitting on his couch right now cranking out wonderful music but you will never know this person because they don't know how to market they don't know how to be a team member they don't know how to manage that professionalism side of things and that's why we get artists and actors and all the rest of this who are not necessarily the best in their field but they're the best to work with donna you get snaps on that yes that's so true i can do that I'm better than that. She's not that talented. Doesn't take skill to do that. No, not necessarily, but it, it takes energy. 
It takes persistence. It takes branding. It takes getting off the couch and learning the game and understanding the rules because every, every game is different. Every profession has new rules that you have to understand, but always being professional in that, not being late, showing up pleasant, doing the job, thanking the people, knowing the names, coming prepared, all of that stuff. It isn't just like some ding dong showing up at someone's door. Oh man, hey, I, I'm, I'm here to do the thing. I don't know what you need me to do. Yeah, I'm going to go eat first. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, Just it's remember, Dave Mustaine got fired from Metallica. You probably don't know who the, these even are, but it's just like my favorite story of raging asshole in, in the entertainment industry. So Metallica was on tour for their first album, right? Or they're getting ready to record it. And Dave Mustaine, he is the founder, lead singer of Megadeth, but he was also a heroin addict and a real asshole. So they were on the road. They found a replacement for Dave Mustaine while they were on the road, fired him, gave him a bus ticket and sent him back to San Francisco. <laughs> oh my, that's a professional band. They knew what they wanted and they weren't going to stand for it. Yeah. Okay. No, um, I'm going to one up you on Metallica. Okay. Because I like <laughs> how you were all like, mm, you're not going to know this, which is so valid and true because music ain't my thing, but here's here I'm going Donna and I'm just going to one up you forever on Metallica. I had a friend whose husband and her had a business selling vintage movie posters. Okay. So if you know anything about the members inside of Metallica, you would know that one of the guys is a massive, vintage horror film collector mm -hmm. um, and I forget his name he's Kurt Hammett Kurt, little yeah. guy yeah yeah and they have this working relationship and 20 years ago 19 years ago Metallica had this really big album that was out it was a big hit everyone was so surprised at how like cross um segment it went like it was just big and they came to denver and kurt needed to pick up this very expensive vintage movie poster and i got to tag along and i got a full access backstage pass to the metallica concert yes i'm hanging out in the green green room and sitting on the couch with them guys whose names i don't know <laughs> i'm the one who's in the sound booth in the middle of the field crawling up and checking it out and looking around at everything i'm in the wings of the mm -hmm. metallica show just casually hanging couldn't care less yeah <laughs> and i got full red carpet treatment i was probably at that show i was probably drunk you probably were yeah i had a better time than you <laughs> Probably. If it's the show I'm thinking of, I can pretty well guarantee it. <laughs> Do you even remember? Your dog's like, I don't even remember it. Oh, I have very few blackouts, so. <laughs> so anyway, that ruined my experience for concerts. Is that I now insist on having all access. <laughs> Doesn't often happen. No, I don't go to concerts. <laughs> all right. So anyways, I digress. Now we get to one of my favorite parts of the show. Because <gasps> Dia... You have tattoos. Oh my God, I have tattoos. Ah! Shall I give you my story of my tattoos? Yes, of course. Of course. My first tattoo was at the age of 18 when I was legally able to get a tattoo in Boulder. This was back in the early 90s. And it was a tattoo I wanted all my life because I saw it on my dad's back, not because I have a good relationship with my dad or I want anything to remind me of him, but it reminds me of the happiness of my childhood. Mm -hmm. And it's 
a bluebird. It's the bluebird of happiness. And I've always been in love with that tattoo. It always made me happy. And I figured that's what I wanted as my first tattoo. And there was a tattoo shop attached to, as you know, the highly popular bus stop strip joint. Yeah, that was the DJ there. Yeah. Yes, yes. And the, the gentleman, and I use that term loosely, the gentleman inside of the tattoo parlor he was the typical uh, old biker, doesn't give a shit, drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes, greasy hands, going to sit down and jab you with the tattoo needle. He gave me my first tattoo and I loved it. And I immediately wanted a second one and couldn't decide what that was because all I wanted was this bluebird. And I go with a friend up in Fort Collins and she wants a tattoo. And I go, yeah, yeah, go ahead and slam one on my back. So I get the kanji symbol for woman. Small, middle of back, yes, tramp stamp area, but small, just small, like a quarter. And I go, I don't like it. I immediately don't like it. I immediately don't like it. And I get married. And my then husband and I wanted to get not matching tattoos, but a tattoo experience together. Mm -hmm. And I did my research and I discovered, because I'm an art historian, I said, show me old tattoos. What are the oldest tattoos that we know? And I discovered the Siberian ice maiden, this high priestess whose mummy was found in the uh, permafrost. They dug her up. She still had skin and she still had tattoos, multiple tattoos visible on her skin. And, And one of them was this magical twisted reindeer creature and I thought yes because my my people come from that area and I thought yeah I can connect art history and culture and power of the high priestess I'm in so I took it and I did two of them around the kanji symbol again lower back area because I had to do something with that kanji and I love it it makes me so happy to have that power of ancient female empowerment on my back. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, I need more. And then in my book group, I had my book group read this book by John Irving. Okay. It's called until I find you. I highly recommend it for people who love literature, who love narratives, who love John Irving and are into tattoos because this book is about this boy, this man talking about his childhood, traversing the world with his mom who is a tattoo artist looking for his dad. And it's all these stories about his mom giving tattoos and the histories of tattoos. It's endlessly fascinating. So I had my book group read it. And when we got together, I said, meet me at the tattoo parlor. I'm going to get a tattoo as the book group meeting. (laughs) And they watched me get a back tattoo it's quite a large tattoo. It's my daughter's name. It has another bird and it's taking the filigree design idea that's attached to those mythic reindeer creatures. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this diagonal filigree of vines and beautiful swirls along my back. So it's, it's very feminine Um, with my daughter. She's like, Oh my God, you really got my name on your back. Oh, that's weird. Great. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. My God. And then here's the most interesting tattoo. I'm done. This is my last one. Here's the most interesting tattoo. My mom, when she was nine years old in 1951, got her first and only tattoo. Mm -hmm. 
and she didn't do it in the back streets of Illinois or Indiana or any Midwest city. She got it at her school because she was part of the pilot program that the Lake County in, in Indiana decided to put forth as a way to see if we could calm the fears and come together as a community in the face of the Cold War and the fear and threat of an eminent atomic bomb being dropped. And their idea, this so smart idea that they had was to tattoo school children with their blood type. Hey, it's not a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a bad idea until you connect Nazis to it. And then until you realize that these children are being forced into being tattooed onto their ribs with inaccurate blood typing. The inaccuracy oh, rate was not even accurate. Yeah, 10%, <laughs> over 10%. This isn't just an oops, this is dead. Yeah. This is this is inaccurate means dead. Hmm. And so she, her parents, my grandparents, who are Jews, we are seven years out of the Holocaust. Hmm. They decide to sign the permission slip to get their child tattooed. Everyone's aware of the concentration camps and the tattooing of the Jews. They decide to go ahead with it. And then we realize in the history of this, the guy, the doctor, Andrew Ivey, who started this pilot program, who thought it'd be a good idea to tattoo school children. He got the idea when he was sent as the representative, the big green, to the Nuremberg trials. America sent him to sit as a witness on the Nuremberg trials. And he discovered that the SS ding-dongs, they all had blood type tattoos on their left bicep because the Nazis wanted to make sure their elite ding-dongs were gonna be taken care of if they needed blood. And he saw this and he brought it back to a Gary, Indiana, which is a huge Jewish population. And he's like, yeah, this sounds good. We're going to see. I how got this great going. idea. I got this. Yeah. So my mom has this total in el- illegible, illegible tattoo on her side. It's O plus because she's O positive. Uh-huh. And she would grow up when she grew up and it was a teenager and people would ask her, Susan, what's the. What's the deal with the OT on your side? My mom being a rebel like me, it's natural. It follows down. She would say, oh yeah, that's my boyfriend. You know, we were pretty serious. So I got his name, his initials tattooed, Otto Turnbull. (laughs) She wouldn't tell him the truth. It was just OT. And so my last tattoo wrapping around, my last tattoo is my homage to my mom. Since my first tattoo was my happiness of childhood with the bluebird. My uh-huh. l- last tattoo was homage to my mom and this whole experience that I've written about and done blog, um, blog, no, blog articles about and podcast episodes on. I decided I wanted to get my own blood type tattoo. So mine's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. this beautiful script. It says, oh, neg. It's just lovely. My daughter got one and hers, well, her blood types be negative. And I'm like, I don't want that on your body. <laughs> so hers, hers says be positive. So hers is more of an homage to her late father as well as my mom. But mm-hmm. blood type tattoos, crazy, crazy, crazy history. And I have, I have a modern version of it, which doesn't mean I'm a Nazi. It means I am playing, 
paying homage to my mom's blood type tattoo, which was put on her because of the Nazis. Right. Indirectly. <laughs> hey, Nazis. Indirectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Dia. Of course, you can talk to Dia Klein yourself if you oh. want to. If you come to our ridiculously long website, that personaltouchcareerservices.com, come to the contact page, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with either Dia or myself. We'll look at your resume. We'll talk about like your career choices, your career path, and how we can you know, get you to a career that you love. But Dia, how else can people find you and follow you and, and all the rest of that? Yes, I am so easy to find, even though my website is incredibly difficult to, to say and spell. My name, just if you type in Dia Klein anywhere, I'm going to show up. So if you find me on YouTube, which I encourage you to find and follow and subscribe, you can see all my funny, funny videos. If you want to interact with me on social media, go to LinkedIn. I mean, not LinkedIn, that's professional. Go to Instagram and Facebook and, and type in my name and connect with me there and we can have the, the daily fun social media interaction. And if you want to do a professional connection, go to LinkedIn and be one of my connections on LinkedIn. Great, great. So thanks again, everybody for tuning in. This has been Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits. My name is Donna Shannon. And as my producer always reminds me, uh, if you like what we're doing, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a comment. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. Don't be mean. There's enough meanness in the world already. Yeah. All right. Thanks. And we'll see you later.